tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. A station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics. Right here on Blog Talk Radio. Well, February is always a tricky month for weather, so there's been years where 
I've missed it. Uh, back in 2003, I had the fun of actually being marooned there, uh, <laughs> myself, my wife, and uh, members of my crew and many other people because of a sudden snowstorm that cropped up uh, early Sunday morning. And uh, it shut down Delaware, which you have to cut through Delaware to get to um, uh, New Jersey. And, of course, it shut down Maryland anyway. So we were marooned there for at least two extra days, as I recall. And and it was just a blast. Uh, Armin Shimmerman, uh, Quark of Deep Space Nine, uh, was one of the guests. And he made a Ferengi snowman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, that hotel has a nice pool and a hot tub, so uh, it's not the worst place to be. And they did they did give us a break. Of course, we still had to pay for our rooms, but they did give us a break on the uh, the hotel rate due to the circumstances. But it wasn't safe to be on the road. And and it, if we were going to be marooned at a hotel, at least we were marooned at a nice one. So, well, with Quark. <laughs> so. Yes, uh, and Gil, Gil Gerard was one of the, you know, from Buck, uh, Buck Rogers. Uh, Gil's a nice guy, but he had, you know, he he was older and he had worked up himself a gut like many of us. So uh, he he stuck to the uh, weight room area and he was, you know, exercise area, the, the spa, and he was trying to, you know, get some exercise out of the deal. So, um and I forgot who some of the other uh, guests were that year, but uh, you know, they uh, we all had a, a great time. Oh, it sounds wonderful. Um, I remember back in the day when I used to attend uh, conventions. Uh, uh, I remember there was a great convention. I don't recall where it was, but uh, John Delancey and Peter David was who I was hanging out with uh, uh, most of the time uh, during that one, and uh, it, it was fantastic. Such a nice guy, John Delancey. Uh, remember meeting him in the early '90s, and at a, at one of his first conventions. I think it was in New York, and at that time, the Challenger was involved in a um, cable TV show, uh, you know, a local cable uh, show. And of course, we had very primitive equipment, you know, VHS stuff. And we had even we didn't even have the regular camera. We had a smaller version. And um, we either forgot to bring the tripod or had some kind of problem with the tripod. We had to prop it up on him books for, for his uh, interview. We didn't look very professional, even as a fan group. But uh, John just shrugged it off, and he had a great time with us, he even helped us position the camera, you know, and um, took pictures with us afterwards. Um, and uh, he, he was a great guest for our then show, Spaced Out. Um, but uh, he was very, very uh, warm to the fans. Yeah, he was. I, I, I really liked uh, that about him, and I, I enjoyed uh, those memories are still very precious uh, to me. And uh, I remember uh, back in the day uh, uh, acting as a security guard to uh, the original uh, Star Trek cast and the Next Generation cast, and uh, always a lot of fun. <laughs> Always something to uh, uh, you know laugh about or reminisce about later on. That's right. You Klingon folks were always doing a lot of the security work, which which made a lot of sense because you know nobody wanted to mess around with the Klingon. <laughs> and it was different too, you know, because we really played yeah. it up the belt, and uh, you know people didn't know how seriously to take us. 
So it was part of the fun. Yeah, yeah, it was a little, little, uh, you know, it added a little extra drama to the, you know, an atmosphere to the to the conventions. And now we'll be bringing that's the Olympians to Star Trek, so that that should be interesting too. Different yeah. dynamic. We're gonna have fun with it as well. Absolutely. Well, we uh, Challengers other uh, uh, launched, you know, the one that was was launched and it will soon be commissioned in about a month. They uh, held a party, a room party, on uh, Saturday uh, morning after the Starfleet meeting. They had some cake and stuff and were celebrating. And then um, we had another chapter based in Maryland um, that celebrated its 20th anniversary uh, on Saturday night. So they had a room party as well. They're the USS Richthofen, and uh, one of their members uh, is very, very good at uh, designing cakes. Um, and so she designed one with, uh, which had Snoopy, uh, on the, uh, you know, with his, his, uh, you know, headgear, you know, from, from shooting the Red Baron, which is kind of funny because the chapter's name is USS Richtov. And so actually Snoopy is uh, on his, in his doghouse, you know, shooting down the, the Richtov. But she made a wonderful cake and, uh, and we enjoyed it and, um, and we toasted a few. Or maybe not a few, maybe a few hundred. I don't know, but uh, you know, we we had a great time with that as well. Oh, that sounds wonderful. Um, I'm looking forward to joining the fun. And uh, my wife and I are recently discussing uh, costuming and uh, how we're going to handle that. And uh, so we're we're having a grand old time uh, getting the creative juices flowing and applying them to this uh, uh, new old adventure. Exactly. Um, and one of your, your neighbors to the north, the USS Abraham Lincoln, I invited him to join us tonight, but I don't know if he can, uh, because like me, he, on the side, he does uh, some freelance work for a, for a weekly newspaper, and I believe tonight he's covering something, but he may call in. I was hoping he would call in, you know, at the normal time, but he may be running late. I, I don't know if that is something that what, we could work with or not. Was his an eight four five area code? Um I forgot what his area code is. His name is Keith Shikowitz and he's the captain of the Abraham Lincoln. Because um, somebody called in and was on the board for on five minutes, but uh um, I couldn't uh, interrupt our conversation to see who was calling because sometimes people will call in to get a uh, to listen more clearly because uh, it's easier to listen when you call in. So maybe he did call in, and I just didn't uh, register him as a guest. So if that's what happened, my apologies. So I, I had another number on my board, but it wasn't yours, so I, I didn't uh, uh, click on it. Oh, it's okay. If it doesn't work out this time, we'll arrange it. And I meant to I meant to give you a heads up, but I, I got um, kind of caught up in some stuff myself uh, earlier this evening. So um, I should have given you a, a, a heads up. I, I just assumed that he'd call and you guys would talk to him and he'd explain. So, but, you know, um, next time I forgot what his, what his area code is. It's uh, I mean, he's, he's in Montebello, New York. So, uh-huh. or, or around that area. So I don't know what, what area code they have, um, you know, off the top of my head. Um, 
let me say, do I have his keys? No, I, I can't. I can't uh, look it up without fear of uh, disconnecting myself from you. Not that I couldn't call back, but I'd rather, you know, not do that. <laughs> so. Okay. Well, uh, if he calls back, uh, if he's listening now, and if you'd like to call back, I'll gladly uh, uh, introduce him to the conversation. If not, we'll schedule him for another time. Yeah. Um, Make, I thought Keith would make for a good guest. I, I wasn't sure why I didn't ask him before. He's he's certainly like myself, gifted with a you know a gift of gab, um, and 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 has some experiences of his own to to share. And and he he's going to be one of your other regional neighbors. Um, yes, you know. I intend on interacting with him and with uh, Justice uh, again. The Justice we we went to several of their meetings uh, uh, maybe half a decade ago. Uh, when we were in northwestern New Jersey, and we had a great time with them. It was in the same restaurant all the time, and uh, uh, everybody was wonderful. Oh, that's great. I think you'll, you'll get along with everyone great, and um, we're, we're a friendly group, or friendly several groups, and, um, you know, I can't wait for everybody to, to meet you. Meet you all. I'm you know. too. And I finally got uh, the the first season of Star Trek Discovery. It arrived today, so uh, I'll, I'm we're, right now we're binge watching Gotham. So as soon as we finish with uh, Gotham, the last season was a short season, so it should only be a few more days. Uh, we're going to start watching Star Trek Discovery. And I took your warning and everybody else's warning that uh, uh, give it a chance because the first few shows uh, uh, might need. Uh, a little bit of patience before the season improves. So uh, I told my wife that. So we'll uh, we'll bear with the first few shows and enjoy the rest of the season. Well, even though we have uh, CBS All Access and therefore have access to, I believe we have access to both seasons of of Discovery. At Shore Leave, we we got a good deal, and we bought the DVDs of both uh, of both seasons. Um, oh, and I think I think we got both of them for like twenty dollars, like not twenty dollars each, but I believe we got both of them, which was a steal. That is awesome. So, that is a steal. Yeah, so we got that, and, and that was great. Um, I didn't actually buy too much of the dealer's room. There, they have some nice, you know, things, but not things that I either collect or wanted, um, and or had room for. So it all, you know. At least I saved a little money there, and I was so busy. I only got to the dealer's room towards the end of the day on Saturday, just when they were starting to shut down uh, for the day. So, you know, um, because they had some very, really good guests this year. I mean, they usually do, but, um, Uh you know, so I spent, spent, um, they had Anson Mount, you know, um, Captain Pike from from Discovery, and Ethan Peck. Spock from uh, Star Trek Discovery, and they had them on together, which I thought was a great idea. Um, so, um, you know, they they were interesting speakers. Uh, there was a lot of things they, you know, couldn't talk about, like people asked point blank, hey, are you going to, you know, has there been any talk since you guys did such a great job of this season in Disco- on Discovery, <laughs> excuse me, on Discovery, is there any possibility that Paramount, you know, or CBS would authorize a, a mini series for, you know, 
Star Trek Enterprise, the the early voyages of N- of seventeen oh one. But um, you know they, they they there was apparently some kind of negotiations, but they couldn't talk about anything. So you know that gave people a little bit of hope. But they're also involved in several other film projects as well. So I've been you know. researching uh, what we've been talking about too, trying to get a better understanding of the. Uh, the rights and uh, CBS and Paramount's uh, relationship and uh, how that affects the stories being told. And uh, um, the best explanation that I've come across uh, uh, so far is that the uh, Kelvin timeline is on the same timeline as uh, the Discovery and Picard. And that uh, uh, even though it does meet with the uh, prime Star Trek universe, people would be... uh, uh, better off treating it like a separate universe, uh, like they do uh, right. the prime universe or the mirror universe. So just treat this as like another. Uh, you know, in um, you know, in 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 the Star Trek universe uh, or the prime universe, Vulcan is still alive. Um, in whereas in the Kelvin universe, uh, Vulcan, you know, was destroyed by. Uh, uh, the Nero, the, the Romulan, and uh, while the Romulan homeworld, because you know that that occurred, you know, decades afterwards, almost a hundred years afterwards, um, you know that that is something that we'll see the consequences of in the Picard series, um, you know, but that that happened post Star Trek Nemesis, so you know, like at least almost twenty years. Uh, after that, so I think we'll find that that was the arma- rescue armada that is being referred to in the trailer, the teaser for uh, uh-huh. Star Trek Picard. You know, at least that's our our strong theory is that that was what they were referring to. So, as pointed out, though, whatever happens, it'll be welcome to uh, uh, see Patrick Stewart reprise his uh, role, even if it's in another dimension or in another phase of his life, uh, because he was just so wonderful, uh, Captain Picard. Well, they, they recently, there really is no new news that, that of what we discussed last time. The only thing new that I can uh, uh, recall is that um, they just released like a like a trailer promotional uh, picture or poster um, of Picard and he's in the the vineyard. uh, And apparently he has a dog because there's a dog. It's like a little pit bull or bulldog. So much like Captain Archer, I guess he decided to get a dog. So um, I thought that was kind of a cute touch. So... But uh, but it's Picard standing there, you know, in the vineyard with with the dog on the side. You you don't even see the dog's face. You see the the back of the dog. So, you know. I'm looking forward to it. I heard that they modified the Klingons again in the second season of uh, Discovery. They gave them hair back and uh, um, yeah. uh, worked on the skin tone palette so that it was uh, closer to the uh, older TV shows and movies. Which I think was a good idea, you know, just so it kind of reconnected, you know. I mean, by rights, I think the Klingons, you know, from the Enterprise, uh, the the 
Enterprise series um, should have looked more like, uh, well, this was a different race of, a lost race of Klingons that uh, Michael Burnham had, had, you know, inadvertently awakened. But, you know, I'd love to see some of our classic Klingons, um, you know, minus the, the ridges, uh, because yeah. remember the genetic virus that, that created that uh, or the cure for their, their virus that, that, that uh, Neelix had helped develop. Uh, I'm sorry, not Neelix, uh, Dr. Dr. Uh, Blocks from, from Enterprise. Enterprise um, yeah. yeah. So um, that, that could prove to be interesting. So uh, I'd, I'd love to see some of our classic Klingons back, but we'll see what happens. I I was pleasantly surprised to discover when I went to uh, um, Walmart last time, and then I checked on Amazon, it was the same thing, that the uh, old series uh, Star Treks have gotten very inexpensive to own now. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and those are the ones still with that have the – Enhanced special effects. Yeah. Uh, I think if you want, if you want to try and own the original, uh, you know, the original series with the original, uh, you know, less than spectacular special effects in ships. I don't know if there's a, a version out there of that. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there is someplace. Um, you know, I I don't really, you know, in that respect, I I really enjoy what they did with, uh, you know making the doomsday machine look, you know, better, uh, adding mm-hmm. certain things, um, you know, uh, especially the episode of cat's claw where at least they colored in and erased the, the lines of that puppet at the, at the very end of the show, uh, of the aliens. So, um, you know, I don't really have any great desire to own a copy with the original, um, you know, I did with the VHS, but I'm retiring my collection of VHS uh, if my wife hasn't done that for me already. So, uh, you know, everything's on DVD and, you know. Yeah, so, I, I, um, have the, uh, I have the original series that has both the original uh, um, uh, episode and then the new and improved uh, with better special effects episode. And I, I enjoy the newer ones uh, better as well. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was ironic, too, because BBC America uh, has been running um, Star Trek, uh, you know, throughout the, you know, their their schedule. And uh, they've been running Next Gen. They've been running Voyager. um, But they don't seem to have DS9. They don't seem to have Enterprise. And up to this point, they didn't have Classic. Well, today I caught, you know, during my lunch hour, uh, they were running uh, classic, and what what episode did they happen to run, which was very appropriate f- uh, from the weekend? Shore leave. <laughs> <laughs> the episode shore leave. So, so um, I thought that was pretty cool. I think it's pretty cool too. Um, we started uh, some of our activities already. Uh, uh, the first one was with the summer reading program. And uh, I don't know if it's universal throughout the country or throughout the state, but here it's an outer space theme. 
the summary of the universe. A universe of stories. Okay. That's the, that's the main thing. I, I, I believe that's the, the uh, I believe that's the national theme. Um, a universe of stories, which is great for us, you know. Oh, certainly so. And uh, I, the role-playing game in Greek mythology that I set there, we've been to outer space before, to the planets of the solar system and to the constellations. So uh, I, I started a space adventure where um, our, our ship that we're using for the adult uh, Star Trek uh, experience uh, went back mm-hmm. to Bronze Age Greece. So uh, so far, the uh, uh, two of the ships, uh, Thomas Pontown had uh, uh, a, a pride ship uh, that came with us, and the uh, uh, USS Odyssey uh, that uh, um, Tina Chandler and Brian Chandler have came with us to the past, too. And you guys are welcome to come if you'd like also. But right now, we're working Very on cool. the mechanics and the storytelling for uh, – uh, the adult stories, but the kids already, they were brought to the planet Venus uh, and it's Edgar Rice Burroughs inspired uh, Venus, you know, so it's not a, uh, oh, you know, a weird, you were telling me a little bit about that last time. Yeah. yeah. So uh, this way it encourages them to look up the old uh, Edgar Rice Burroughs and Amtor and to uh, uh, read up on them. So it's a, it's a Venus that has these tall trees that are bigger than our sequoias and dense jungles. And like all of Edgar Rice stuff, there's like uh, ancient lost technology and uh, everyone's kind of like reverted to primitivism, you know? And uh, uh, so th- that's kind of like the environment that they're finding the, their place in. And uh, thwarting them are some Atlanteans from uh, the Bronze Age. So uh, uh, it, it, it's an interesting adventure so far. And, of course, uh, every episode ends on a cliffhanger, so the kids love it. So they'll be back for the next chapter. Very cool. Very cool. And it's great that you guys are involved in, you know, promoting literacy and getting getting young people to read and especially getting the, to, them to read science fiction. So, um yeah. That's that's just a wonderful uh, objective, you know, goal. And they also get extra credit for participating in uh, the library's STEM programs, including uh, computers, robotics, and uh, astronomy. So if they participate in those programs, uh, they get extra uh, in-game prizes for having participated. And uh, also... uh, um, if they do artwork or if they write a book report or, or tell us about some of the things that they read, they also get uh, uh, experience points or items. So uh, we try to make it very much worth their while to uh, uh, pursue literacy. Wonderful. Sounds like a great, uh, great project for you guys, and it fits right in. Yeah, I figure we'll do that. Uh, I'm continuing it past the summer reading because uh, uh, the the adventures moving a little more, more slowly than I planned. I planned like a three shot uh, for the summer reading, but uh, now it seems like this adventure will continue for around half a year. Uh, so that's okay. <laughs> uh, we'll just keep uh, the program running past the summer. And uh, for the adults, we're in the process of planning. Uh, we're having like a um, retro sci-fi UFO nights and we're going to be showing a movie and we're going to be mm-hmm. encouraging people to uh, come dressed up uh, in uh, you know, it's cosplay and uh, then we're going to have our Starfleet meeting there and I'll also be giving a talk mm-hmm. on UFOs 
So th- that's what we're currently planning. We're, we're aiming for August for that. So once we start that, that's another thing that will be happening monthly. Uh, and then it's just basically, uh, um, you know, like structuring everything so that we have the meetings and we have plenty of room for creativity. Uh, and I've increased the number of Starfleet uh, segments that we have on the show. Uh, so this way, uh, uh, the evolution of our adventure can be followed uh, on uh, Blog Talk Radio. Excellent. Um, and I, and I uh, know you sent me the schedule, uh, but I believe, um, what was the, the day for some of the other ones? Uh, my brain is a little bit fried from, okay. still from the weekend. My, my brain's a little bit fried, too. Uh, I'll resend it to you. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the, the role-playing game for the kids is the last, uh, the fourth Thursday, rather, of uh, each month from 3.30 to 6 o'clock. Oh, okay. From the, uh, I, I was asking about the show. The, the other one is, is that what you were saying? Oh, the uh, other the show, yes, it's on the, um, the uh, I believe the second or third Thursday. Um, is the other show currently. So right now we have two, and uh, in the fifth uh, weeks of the of the month, where there's a fifth week, I've been trying to schedule one there as well. So uh, uh, out of all the teams, I still need to uh, um, structure something with your team and with uh, uh, the team from the uh, um, the different ones that follow spiritualities that are kind of like star trekking. Mm-hmm. So uh, I haven't had the conversations with them, although I will um, this month with the Urantia book people, uh, all of whom were very eager to participate in the star Trek adventure. Well, so maybe uh, Wayne will be able to, uh, to, 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 you know, make a guest appearance or more uh, because maybe Thursdays work better for him. I know Mondays do not, uh, you know that, which is why he hasn't been able to to join us uh, because he works, uh, you know, the, the evening shifts on Mondays. Right. So, uh, you know, well, but, uh, it, it's, a, it's a great like, project. Like everything takes a while to evolve. Uh, everything takes a while, so you just got to give it the time it needs and just keep moving it forward inch by inch. And before you know it, it's up yeah. and running, and it's a habit. So. Yep. Yep, sounds great. Um, well, I wish I could pass along some more tidbits of, of news that uh, from the convention, you know, from Star Trek or anything else. But uh, as engaging as the guests were, um, they talked more about their past. Uh, there was a lot of actors there from Smallville. Uh, Erica, oh, yeah. Duance, the Lois Lane. The beautiful Laura Vanderhoot, who played Supergirl and was, of course, also in Bitten and was also in V and was also more recently um, uh, Indigo in uh, in the Supergirl TV series. Uh, I I always thought she made a great Supergirl. I'm I'm surprised that back in the day when CW, uh, you know, when it came time for CW to uh, uh, complete its run, and I think it, it it lasted for like 11 years or 12. Um, you know, I'm surprised that CW at that at that point didn't just simply spin off, uh, you know, a Supergirl TV show at at that point. You know, 
because Laura Vanderhoot, uh, you know, plays that part. But I, yeah, um, you know, not to say I don't have any problems with uh, Melissa, uh, who plays her in the in the current series. But uh, it was really nice to see her. John Glover was there, who played Lionel Luther uh, in Smallville, but he also played uh, more recently. He was uh, 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 Doctor Savannah's father in um, Shazam, uh, oh, and he had in in comic book. He seems to be uh, very connected to comic uh, book material because apparently he provided the voice of the Riddler in the uh, Batman animated adventures. Uh, and, uh, of course, he was in a Batman film. Uh, he was in the, la- the, the last of the original Batman series of, of films. Uh, um, in, I believe he was in Batman and, uh, Batman and Robin, um, which had uh, um, him playing Dr. Woodrow and had uh, Poison Ivy and Mr. Freeze, Uma Thurman being Poison Ivy and... Uh, he was responsible. He was responsible. Yeah, yeah. George Clooney played Batman, of course. Um, you know, and, and and that was unfortunately that film didn't go over as well as they had hoped. Um, no. But uh, but I thought the cast was incredible. I really of that of that particular Batman film, and uh, John Glover was uh, he played Doctor uh, Woodrow and uh, you know. Made made you know was responsible for having poisoned uh, uh, Uma Thurman's character of Pamela Isley and and made her into Poison Ivy. So uh. and now they have but a Batwoman series coming out. They have the the, the Teen yeah. Titans out. They have uh, uh, and I heard they're doing this, a series with uh, Alfred called Pennyworth, uh, where it's like a James yeah, Bond type of uh, character. Yeah, I heard something about that. I mean, I know that in in more recent years, they've decided to uh, um, add a little to Alfred's backstory that he was uh, uh, part of M- M- MI6 or whatever it's called, you know, British uh-huh. intelligence. Um, so, you know, I don't know if this if this is kind of a prequel or or, or if it, you know, um, how they're going to do that. I I, I know that uh, right now. Uh, the DC Universe streaming verse is is going to be folded into the a, a, a bigger Warner Brothers thing. So there's a little chaos going on um, with whether there will be a DC streaming or you know it'll fold into into the other um, because they they sadly they canceled Swamp Thing, the new Swamp Thing. Why is that? Um, and I heard it was pretty good. I heard they, you know, they, they, I mean, I saw the trailer for it. I love the doom patrol and I've heard that it, the doom patrol was doing very well, but I don't know what the future of any of these shows are other than I think the Titans has, is, is, is definitely coming back. I'm not sure about the other shows. They're still supposed to premiere uh star girl. Um, uh, in the fall, I believe, I think it, around November, uh, her show is is coming on, uh, so um, 
you know, a lot. It, it, we haven't really had this renaissance of, of, you know, superhero characters. Um, but Netflix lost all their Marvel characters. I think Jessica Jones is the only one left, and that right. probably will be will have its last season because Disney, which of course owns Marvel, you know, they they're launched or or about to launch their own uh, streaming service network. Yeah. So. Um, so they they you know all the uh marvel uh tv series on netflix daredevil luke cage uh the punisher uh iron fist the defenders um you know they they were all canceled uh, i think and like i said i think the only survivor was jessica jones and and that may finish up next year so uh whether those shows will return on the new Disney streaming service is anyone's guess, but uh, it's, it's, it's a shame that, you know, that they had to do this. Yes. I enjoyed them very much. I didn't see the last uh, round of them, Daredevil, Jessica Jones, uh, Luke Cage or Iron Fist. I haven't seen the new, the, the latest seasons of those, but I guess I'll wait till they come out on uh, DVD, uh, uh, and you know, show yeah. And while Stranger Things is available at the library, because um, I don't have Netflix, I have CBS All Access, and I don't have Netflix, which I'm sure is you know sounds crazy, but um, uh, that's available at the library. But I have not been able to get Daredevil, Luke Cage, uh, Jessica Jones, or the Defenders from the library. That's you know. Uh, either not available at this point, or or uh, my library system didn't order them. Order them. I don't know. Yeah. But, um, uh, Stranger Things uh, is in Target. They're on sale uh, for less than twenty dollars a season. Oh wow! Might have and to pick that up. They make them look I like. Uh, VHS tapes. <laughs> the box is like huge and you know, oh, I heard something about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah because of course, the the show is is uh, uh, set in the 1980s, and uh, it is such a wonderful show. I got to yeah. see the first season, and um, you know, they they only made like ten episodes, I believe, of the first season, and they may have only made about. 10 or maybe even less of the second season, but both seasons, you know, I got to see pretty close together um, first and second. And, uh, and I, you know, then of course I think about now um, the new, um, the third season, you know, is, is hitting Netflix. And I so wish I did have Netflix because uh, it, it really is a great show. It's, it's a lot of fun. It's, it's nostalgic. It has a you know a flavor of, of almost like the Goodies. Uh, it has the you know the adult. There's adults in it too, and and they, they there's some you know good characters there as well, and uh, it just keeps you on the edge of your seat, you know, as yeah, to what's happening. Yeah, I, I enjoyed it a great deal too. And when I saw the DVDs that inexpensively, uh, yeah, I got them because uh, it's really hard to tell with DVD uh, things. Sometimes they shoot up in price uh, after being inexpensive. Mm. 
Sometimes they don't, you know, so I, I, I have like values inside my head. And if something uh, is offered for below uh, what I think it's worth, I'll pick it, I'll pick it up <laughs> and, uh, and watch yeah. it later. Yeah, uh, there was a, a, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I, I was just going to mention there was a vendor that, uh, you know, when I, when Emily and I lived more part-time, you know, in, in South Jersey, uh, when she was teaching, uh, we would frequent the Berlin mark, market, uh, flea market, and there was a vendor there who, who uh, you know, um, had DVDs of, like, obscure, you know, cartoon series of the past and, you know, uh, the Planet of the Apes movies and various mm-hmm. TV series. And the TV series were all of like, you know, $10. The cartoons were $5. And, uh, and the quality was, was, was pretty good. I mean, I only had one problem with one particular cartoon and, and, and he replaced it without even me having the other one. Cause I had forgotten to, to bring it. And it, with, without any argument, he was like, Oh, here, take it. I'm sorry. You know, so I really miss him because I don't get there that often. And when I do, I don't know if he's no longer there or if they may have mm. shut him down or what, because, you know, there is that pesky copyright infringement thing. Um, but, uh, you know. Yep. But I yeah, regret I... not picking up, you know, certain things there. Uh, he didn't have a lot of, like, I don't know if he would have something like, you know, Stranger Things or that, but he did have some some classic old, you know, cartoons and shows and like the Planet of the Apes TV series and, you know. Uh, I remember that. Things like that that, you know, would be uh, a favorite. And there were, there there is a vendor that I see at Shore Leave every year and he also goes to the Monster Mania in Cherry Hill and, you know, he's got the same kind of stuff, but his prices are much higher. So, uh, you know, it was it was really nice to go to Berlin Mart. And, you know, I mean, I did pick up a, a good number of, of of shows here and there, but I, I wish he was still around, you know. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, we used to have a flea market store called the Barbarian Bazaar. And uh, I used to, like, go out early where they had, like, the vendors that were outside. And uh, mm-hmm. I used to find like, gems, and then we used to, you know, like, test them and, uh uh, we used to sell them in the store, but uh, I used to look for the more obscure titles. And uh, um, there were people like the man that you described uh, in his store outside. And uh, um, yeah, I regret uh, not having picked up some things that I, I know I know I would have enjoyed. But you think things are going to go on forever, and they don't, you know. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then there's then there's the, these shows that you know because they were only one season. Uh, never make it to DVD, you know, like the Logan's Run TV series of the 70s. Um, you know, you're 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 more apt to to catch them on YouTube. Um, Those you things know, the are 90s. Kind of, so, like a lot of old series, uh, if you look on Amazon, uh, they have a lot of things like Kolchak the Night Stalker and uh, you know all sorts of obscure uh, uh, shows. Uh, you can get them now uh, on Amazon, you know, uh, relatively inexpensively, even cartoons like uh, uh, the Mighty Mitor and the Herculoids and Fundor the Barbarian. Oh, you can get the whole series yeah. for like bucks. You know, it's, it's amazing. 
those were classics. I mean, you and I, my, my goodness, we could do a show just on, 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 on all the great Saturday morning cartoons that, that kids today just don't know what you're even talking about when you mention Saturday morning cartoons. When, uh, yeah, yeah, we, we would have loads of material because I'm sure you watched the same ones I did. You just named right, several. Yeah, and, you know, I remember my tour with his, the caveman with the, the mask and the horns and the, and the, and the club. You know, mm-hmm. and I think he had kind of a, a brown cape kind of a thing, you know, of, of, of you know, there was Mike Tour, the Herculoids, of course. And the Herculoids. Um, yep. And remember, they had the slingshot, you know, like, they would, they would have like rocks, but I think the, the rocks exploded and, you know, oh. Really quick. And, and one... Yeah, yeah. And then Thundar, I, I I remember when Thundar came on, I was very excited about that because, you know, the first time I saw that, I was like, wow, that looks like Jack Kirby, you know, yeah. comic book legend Jack Kirby drew it. It was like, it's because Jack Kirby, comic book did legend, draw. did draw it, you know? So, uh, yeah, the energy sword didn't cut through anything living, though, uh, but it cut through robots yeah. and rock yeah. creatures and things like that. But that was great. I I have uh, uh, on one of my shelves uh, here with my books. I have uh, um, uh, uh, Thundar and Ariel and Ukla. You know the the action figures when they came out. I picked them up, and uh, they're on like one of the shelves. Uh, um, Thundar with his sun sword, of course. That was such a great show, and uh, you know the the seventies and eighties just had so much stuff um that you know that that was that was part of the ritual like the the you know the end of summer i remember you know the you know you're all depressed because we have to go back to school but the the one thing that you were happy about though is that that would be the the time where the you know the new fall cartoon lineup yeah. would come out and on labor day weekend i think it was you know that's when they would l- launch um and they always had a every network, well, every network being, you know, three, uh, NBC, CBS, and ABC would always have their uh their their Friday night preview show, uh, where they would, you know, preview uh all the new uh Saturday morning cartoons. They'd usually have an actor from one of the, the live shows or or somebody kid related and they would host it and then you know give you a glimpse at what you could watch and what time it would be on you know so um those those really were the good old days you know yes they uh, were I'm glad to get those cartoons again because uh it, it is awesome uh, and uh, I found recently on uh, Amazon or eBay, I don't remember where, uh, they had like uh, um, from Space Sentinels, from Freedom Force, uh, from the Mighty Isis, which was a live action uh, TV show, yeah. uh, and then from Black Star. <laughs> so <laughs> really obscure ones. They had uh, like a sample disc from each uh, of those for, I got it for less than $20. So it, it was a great find. Excuse me. Um, Black Star. I um, 
I do remember that show. I, I, I didn't realize until recently that I think Black Star came out before He-Man. See, I didn't get into He-Man. Uh, uh-huh. I think around the, well, and I don't think He-Man, He-Man wasn't a Saturday morning show. I think that was syndicated like an, like after school. I, I recently watched that, sh- that show where they explore the, the toys, uh, you know, and how the, how the different toys, the legendary toys of our youth were created. Uh, they had, um, the program on, um, uh, Star Trek merchandise you know, and, and, and the rights to that. And they, they traced, you know, obviously they traced the history of, you know, Star Trek and, and when Mego produced the dolls and, and that. And, uh, and and there was another program, you know, obviously they, they did a show on Star Wars with Kenner. Um, mm-hmm. And when Mego turned it, turned Star Wars down, uh-huh, which, you know, it was yeah. a decision the guy regretted. Uh, but they did have, you know, uh, Mattel with, um, you know, with uh, with He-Man, and uh, that had an interesting history uh, as well. It, it, it ties into Conan the Barbarian. That's how I started finding out about it. And and I remember when the my son was uh, born around the time that that stuff started coming out. Uh, so when he got a little older, um, I bought him uh, one of the earliest uh, He-Men. And the comic in there had him be a barbarian. So he was a barbarian initially. That Prince Adam stuff was made for the... Yeah, uh, yeah. In fact, they they referenced that. They said that one of the gimmicks was that they were going to, you know, because this predated the cartoon, one of the first gimmicks they had to to sell to major distributors, which was at that time Toys R Us and... uh, Child World, I believe, was another toy show a store that uh, unfortunately is probably defunct now. Uh, that they, yeah. they they were like, well, how how are people how are the kids going to know who these characters are? And they and the guy off the top of his head said during the 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 big presentation, well, we're going to add a car, we're going to add a comic book to it. And um, his partners were like, hey, that's a great idea. You didn't mention that before. And he told them, he said, that's because I just made it up right as we were sitting there because we wanted to cut, you know, seal the deal. And in those original com- uh, uh, comic books, the mini comic books that they made, they, um, they, their, their uh, tone of their comic book was a little more, you know, Conan-oriented, more straightforward. And only when it got to uh, Filmation, uh, when Filmation was doing the cartoon – um, because then the next distributor they went to said, oh, that's great that you're going to have a little comic book, but you know, the, the age group that you're, you're, uh, aiming He-Man at, uh, doesn't read, you know, like some of them will, will either not read or will be too young to read. And then in the same fashion, the, the, the same guy said, oh, well, that's okay because we're going to do a cartoon. And again, I, and again, his partner said, we are, when did that came out? And he said, just right now in that meeting and then they had to go to you know find out how to do the cartoon so um hannah barbara i think wasn't interested or was too busy and so they went to filmation um who did start the star trek animated and like yeah. a lot of other things um and you know they they just they they're the ones who just decided to you know uh 
make Skeletor, uh, you know, to add a little comedy to it, a li- you know, change the tone down uh, since it would be aimed at kids, uh, you know. Um, so, you know, but uh, and, and what I, unfortunately what I remember was uh, afterwards, um, you know, when the market kind of fell and right. part of that was the terrible He-Man movie, um they 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 their their sales went down from like several million to like seven million or something, and they had all these extra bodies and I think that's how they ended up selling some of the extra he man bodies to like Remco, which was another toy company, and they mm-hmm. did um they did the the d c comics uh warlord series um mm-hmm. yeah, you yes, know I still have Hercules. I'm yeah, at him. yeah, yeah. Of course, of course, you would have Hercules, and and that's funny. I have Hercules as well, and awesome. I I mean I didn't I didn't I didn't have him at that time because I didn't. I mean I did remember reading like one issue of Hercules Unbound, which I I believe had no connection whatsoever to Warlord, but they they just decided let right. let let's throw all the fan DC Comics fantasy characters all together like. Eric the Indian and uh yeah. who also didn't have any connection to Warlord. But um I thought that they did a great job with the Hercules uh you know uh, action figure. He didn't have a beard, but he didn't have a beard in the comic either. Um but, no, but he was a really good figure. And when they brought back Hercules Unbound for a very short period of time in this recent run of DC Comics, they killed him after like two or three issues, which was sad. But he was wearing uh-huh. that classic armor that he had toward the end of the uh, the series, and uh, uh, they, they didn't take their usual track of making him into like a roguish uh, villain. Uh, they made him into a hero, so that, I, I like that as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, and I remember, you know, Hercules was also a figure in Wonder Wonder Woman, you know, yeah. um, and and unfortunately, you know, was kind of portrayed as, uh, you know, having in, having enslaved the women. So uh, then later on, you know, when they revised Wonder Woman's origin to be more of the demigod, you know, put, putting aside the the clay figurine origin and making her the the you know the daughter of Zeus. Uh, you know that 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 changed the whole relationship between uh, Hercules and Wonder Woman. You know, yeah. so you know, but uh, yeah, it was it was definitely interesting. Um, and on that note, on that note of nostalgia, which I do want to continue, so let's talk about uh, continuing it. Uh, we've reached the end of today's uh, adventure. Uh, if you can kindly share how people can get involved in, with the USS Challenger and Starfleet Region 7 and uh, all the awesome things you're involved in, uh, please do so. Will do. I'll, re- I'll recap it real quick because I know we're running out of time. Uh, people could visit uh, Starfleet International itself by uh, looking up our website at sfi.org. You can check out region7.com for more immediate Starfleet uh, uh, activities with the chapters of the northeastern um, states of New Jersey, Maryland, Pennsylvania, Delaware, Washington, D.C., and, uh, of course, New Jersey and New York um, at region7.com. And, of course, more local 
here on the Jersey Shore, USS Challenger chapter, which covers Monmouth and Ocean counties. Um, we could be found at USSChallenger.org. And of course, our Facebook friend, uh, Facebook uh, page, well, like us uh, on on Facebook, and um, that's how you can reach us. And and you can always send me an email at beamaboard at aol dot com or USSChallengerCO at gmail dot com. Thank you so very much, Admiral Bob. Always a pleasure. I had lots of fun. I learned a lot. And uh, you, uh, what do you call it, took me down memory lane, which is always, always a great thing. Uh, thank you for the nostalgia and for everything. And I look forward to speaking with you again very soon. Thank you. Great always being on the show and talking to you and uh, bringing up old memories. <laughs> And I had one quick question before we finish. Um, was the information I sent you in the email sufficient, or do you require more information from me? Uh, I'll be honest. I I believe I sent you that on Thursday, and I, I have not been able to. I've, I've, did you send it? Did I send it to you at my uh, Gmail account or my other account? Um, to be honest. You, I don't know, but I can look uh, after tonight's show. I can find it and I could respond uh, uh, to it again. I'm, 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 I'm sure I, I have it. I haven't had the opportunity to to check uh, all my email accounts since shore leave. Um, you know, it, shore leave took up Friday, Saturday, and Sunday when I, you know, um, and, but I do re- recall checking my Gmail account last night, and I didn't see it there. So you, I probably sent it to you at Beam Aboard or maybe Challenger Command. Um, but yeah, either way, I'm, I, I'm sure I'm sure that information is sufficient. But I'll uh, I'll I'll let you know that I I uh, got it, and uh, you know I'll get back to you. Hey, thank you, my friend. Joyous journeys, and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care. Thanks again. Bye-bye. You too. Uh, we're going to listen to David Clark's Cold Warren. Good night. Uh, and then we'll Good be night. back with our scholars from the edge of time. Hill is our 
souls to the powers of earth, sea and sky, of dragon and fairy and shades of the night. He calls to his ancestors of blood and bone, of womb and tomb and standing stone. Lady, stir your cauldron well, chant your words and sing your spell. Deep within this darkened hall, hear the goddess Keridwen call. Come and taste of the cauldron's brew and magic she will give to you. You will dance in the eye of the storm, your Keridwen's children, the cauldron born. Got it. 
taste of the cauldron's brew and magic she will give to you. You will dance in the eye of the storm, your Keridwen's children, the cauldron born. Nicholas Dyack and Michelle Brittany. Greetings and welcome, O scholars. <laughs> Greetings, Hercules. How are you this evening? I'm doing incredibly awesome. How are you this evening? I'm doing very well, thank you. I'm glad to hear that, and uh, I'm looking forward uh, to uh, learning about Nicholas's adventures in sword and uh, planet uh, uh, literature. And uh, I want to thank you for all the wonderful uh, links that you sent. And uh, I'm looking forward to continuing that conversation as well. Yes, uh, definitely. So um, we thought that we would uh, split. And um, tonight I would start first. And awesome. then um, I'm on board at about the halfway point and um, share what he has been reading. That, that sounds incredibly awesome. And I want to thank both of you uh, for uh, introducing me to Assassin's Creed. Um, I found uh, um, Assassin's Creed Origins and Odyssey uh, uh, inexpensively, uh, and I picked them both up. And uh, then I came across a PlayStation 4 um, so uh, now I have a PlayStation 4 and I have both games. Uh, so I ordered the uh, paperback for the uh, Odyssey and the strategy guide. And today I've been watching YouTube videos. So I'm, I'm getting myself ready for that immersive experience. And I started looking through my library for uh, my copy of the Peloponnesian War and the histories of Virovatos and uh, information on uh, Hippocrates and all the different personages that you can meet in the game. I'm going to start reading up on them as well. Oh, that sounds really exciting, Hercules. I, I think that you're really going to enjoy the game. Um, it sounds like it was destiny that you would, uh, you know, come to this point where you would uh, have an opportunity to play play both games. Um, I'll be anxious to hear what you think of both. Um, I think last week we were when we were talking about the games, uh, I mentioned that I had been playing Origins because of the ancient Egyptian storyline. Yes. Uh, has been playing and um, has actually, I believe, just about finished. Well, he finished the main story, and he has uh, side quests and DLCs to complete. Um, but in that particular case, I, I did watch him play, um, and it was just as enjoyable to watch him play as it is to, to play myself, you know. So um, I'm anxious to hear what you think. 
I, I will definitely share uh, as I get into it. Right now, I'm preparing myself uh, for it. And uh, two other games that I wanted to get, I found inexpensively too, and I uh, have them. Uh, I have one called Theseus, which is a VR game for the PlayStation 4, uh, where uh, you get to uh, be Theseus in the labyrinth in Crete. And uh, then I found uh, God of War uh, 4. Uh, which uh, brings him into the lands of Norse uh, mythology. Uh, so I have Egypt, I have Greece, I have Rome, uh, and I have uh, the Norse lands and uh, ancient Crete. So I have a wide uh, variety of history to experience, and I guess the year ahead, because uh, it takes me forever to finish a game. <laughs> it does me too, uh, Hercules, so don't feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so um, you had spoken last time about the, um, the, the your musings for mummies and how you've taken uh, a brief hiatus uh, from that. Uh, do you want me to continue linking to it? I'm sure because I maybe it'll be the, the nudge I need to get back to it. Um, it's okay. just been hectic with, with work um, and some of the other responsibilities that I have on my plate, but um, I, I'm definitely hoping to start it back up in August. Um, okay. So, I yeah, I would say continue to link, and I apologize to people in advance that it, it, it's stagnant at the moment, but there's definitely um, a there's number of episodes to read. Yeah, there's plenty there to explore. So uh, anybody coming to the site or who's been visiting for a while, there, there's plenty of material there uh, to keep them happy until you you know you're able to uh, devote as much time as you'd like to it. So I, I will continue to link. And uh, you, I see you've started your research already uh, into uh, the types of information Merit Patel would be interested in. Yeah, so for, I guess for your listeners who, you know, happened to miss last week's podcast in which we talked about the Starfleet Adventures, I don't know how they could manage to miss it, but just in case, um, you know, <laughs> you know, we, we talked about, uh, you know, the continuation and, and starting a new Starfleet Adventure on the USS Argo. And uh, so my character is named uh, Merit Patah. She's an Egyptian. And um, going off of the time travel uh, aspect of our adventures, I place her in ancient Egypt. I'm still trying to to decide exactly when. Um, So that's still kind of up in the air, but I do have her background as being a priestess of Beset, um, but also a science officer in the Federation, and um, she uh, has just been welcomed aboard to the USS Argo and was immediately assigned um, research. (laughs) And uh, very quickly, by the way. Pardon? Which she completed admirably, completely, and very quickly, by the way. <laughs> yes, and while it, it, it has definitely sent her, uh, you know, really kind of looking um, at um, Edgar Casey's uh, writings on the uh, 
Association for Research and Enlightenment. And uh, so I was reading today actually on uh, the entry for Atlantis. So at the website, there's lots of different links to various articles um, and topics. And so the one that I was looking at in case listeners want to go and check it out themselves, I was reading through the Atlantis uh, entry. And so I found that actually uh, interesting um, because, honestly, uh, other than uh, Hollywood's interpretation of Atlantis in a film that I saw many years ago that was probably uh, originally released in, like, the 50s, maybe. Okay. (laughs) Uh, I have that somewhere, I think. Yeah, so I vaguely remember that film, and that was my initial kind of like, wow, this city existed. This seems really interesting to me. And then I think it was not long after that I actually saw an episode of In Search Of that was hosted by Leonard Nimoy back in the 70s. Yeah, so maybe, Hercules, you might recall the episode where they talked about Benami, uh Islands and the yeah. um, the um, oh, the, the marine archaeologist uh, that found the crystal skull. So uh, that was kind of my next step into kind of grasping at what Atlantis was about. So reading the Edgar Cayce's um, entry was was interesting because one of the aspects of your assignment that you that you gave Maripata was to draw um, comparisons and connections between uh, Atlantis and ancient Egypt. So uh, looking at the timeline of the the Bronze Age which was approximately, I think, 3300 B.C. to about 1200 B.C., really covers quite a bit uh, with regards to ancient Egypt. I mean, you're talking from the proto-dynastic or, you know, the pre-dynastic period in Egypt um, to the the unification of lower and upper Egypt um, and ending or kind of concluding around the New Kingdom period of the 18th and 19th dynasty. And for context for your listeners, that's, you know, into uh, King Tut era and Ramses, uh, kind of leading into Ramses II. And Mm -hmm. uh, so kind of like trying to draw, you know, well, you know, where, where are the connections? There was something that I, that, uh, struck me in the readings, and that is a, and, and I'm actually hoping that you can give me some more information uh, okay. for your knowledge that you've picked up. They commented that uh, that Casey mentioned about the um, Atlantis being sunk and covered by quote the slime of ages, and then it goes on to say an identical record. Hall is located under the sink. And so I was wondering, what what do you know about that? Well, Casey and other uh, psychics have uh, always said that there's something 
uh, you know, beneath the Sphinx. And there's a, a hidden doorway and a hidden chamber and that uh, very important documents are uh, kept there. And uh, depending on who you're reading and what their bias happens to be, uh, that belief is either um, key to understanding the whole mystery of the Sphinx uh, or it's hogwash. So uh, um, I don't know enough about archaeology to really uh, uh, form an educated opinion. Uh, I find the topic phenomenally fascinating, uh, and uh, I find myself uh, returning to it. But uh, it's, it's to its veracity, I don't know. Like, for instance, there's uh, a lot of uh, articles that talk about the Sphinx being much older, and uh, they talk about patterns of water erosion. Uh, which show that for a very long period of time it was underwater after it was built, or the bulk of it was uh, underwater. But then I've read other articles uh, disputing that uh, and saying that these uh, patterns were made by uh, wind erosion uh, and uh, you know, that the whole theory of the Sphinx being underwater uh, and therefore much older than we uh, suspect it to be is, is hogwash. So I really don't know. Uh, I love the theories and uh, I love thinking about them and trying to fit them into the uh, puzzles that I pick up through my uh, occult researches, but I really don't have an answer that uh, I can confidently give. Yeah. I know um, in, in readings that I've done, uh, I believe it's Graham Hancock who yeah. um, argues that uh, the Sphinx is much older. I think he places it more like at 25,000 B.C. And part of his argument is that it's based on the astrological skies at the time. Um, and if you believe that the pyramids are laid out in basically, I think, uh, in the same pattern as the main star of Orion's belt, yeah. then um, the Sphinx, in order to have the, the, the astrological sky be in accordance with these, the, the Sphinx had been built and, and the pyramids, that it would have been much older because of the way of the alignment of the stars at the time. Yeah. Um, so I think it's a fascinating uh, hypothesis. Yeah, I've, and I've and I've been reading about like the the wind uh, effects on the Sphinx as well. Um, I just saw Dr. Hawass speak uh, at the Bowers Museum here in Orange, and um, I know he he does not believe that the Sphinx is much older. He places it, I think, at the at the conventional period of time, uh, just prior to. Well, let's see. I think we'd be talking about like the third or fourth dynasties. I think. So, um, you know, I think he's talking more in that time period than um, much later. But it would be interesting if it is much later or much earlier that that would have been at the time. Of, of Atlantis because even if yeah. you place it back to 10,000 B.C. and not 25,000 B.C., then, you know, was was the Sphinx, was, um, you know, the, the bay much wider? Did the waters come to, you know, basically the, the feet of 
of the sink? Was he looking out towards Atlantis? Lots of different um, things to to wonder about. Uh, yes, and also these uh, some of the things that occultists describe might not be on the physical uh, level. Like for instance, when I was studying uh, um, a certain type of really obscure Egyptian philosophy, uh, part of uh, uh, the initiatic experience was a a journey to ancient Kem. And in that journey, nothing was verbalized about uh, the Sphinx. Uh, you, it was a guided type of thing. Uh, once you got to a certain point, you, nothing was said, and you, your imagination or your astral vision or your uh, third eye or you know whatever you, you want to claim credit for the type of vision or experience you had, uh, I was brought uh, uh, below the Sphinx, and uh, my uh, experiences unfolded there as well. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that there is anything physically under the Sphinx, but on an astral level or an imaginal level or in, in dreamlands, uh, there might be something under the Sphinx, and that's what people are tapping into when they have uh, psychic experiences. And I wasn't that up on uh, Casey's lore at the time uh, either when I had these experiences. So I was very pleasantly surprised uh, to find uh, a description of that in the writings of uh, Casey. Um, Casey also uh, placed uh, um, a lot of uh, volumes of text that could clarify a lot of our lost uh, history, uh, both uh, beneath the Sphinx and also in the temple that... Uh, either rose or didn't rise, depending on who you're speaking to, off the coast of uh, Bimini as well. Well, that's really fascinating. I, I mean, this, uh, you know, starting this research has been really interesting, just just the little bit that I've touched on. And then, you know, learning about other people that have been researching this. Um, I came across uh, Andrew Collins, who wrote uh, yeah. Gateway to a um, and just like, you know, looking at the uh, satellite pictures, you know, uh, physical evidence that had been um, gathered, I think, back in the 50s through the 80s by Edgerton Skiles, I think was his name. Um, you know, and I, I, I traveled, yeah, I traveled to Cuba and um, the Collins you know, hypothesizes that the, there's ruins, he hypothesized that there was ruins off the coast of Cuba that are part of Atlantis. And then I guess not long after they found ruins, um, but then on the flip side, there's been, there hasn't been more research um, given the relationship, but, um, you know, on the flip side, it's been said, well, maybe those are, you know, uh, bunkers and silos from, you know, um, the Soviet era. And um, my only thing that I would say to that is having having visited Cuba uh, back in, I think, 2004, um, there were still uh, nuclear-type um, buildings that weren't mm-hmm. in use anymore. So um, I would kind of wonder, well, would they really – you know, uh, take these apart and just drop them into the into the water, and you know what's the coincidence of creating a ruined pattern? You know, who knows? 
Well, that's a valid hypothesis. Uh, and, and again, like you said, who knows? But it's fun to speculate. And uh, it's fun to tie the speculations into other you know, theories and hypotheses that are floating around, uh, too, uh, because that uh, area is one of mystery. And it uh, mm-hmm. stimulates imagination and it's given birth to uh, real history on a variety of levels uh, in human spheres of experience. So it's a great uh, playground. Uh, and whether you're looking for uh, answers that can be backed by science and scholarship or, or just uh, inspiring images that open you up to uh, endless intriguing possibilities, it's a great place to spend time. Oh, yeah, definitely. It, it, I, I like that kind of thing. So the assignment was was right up my alley as far as, you know, being able to explore and just kind of, you know, um, as we were talking about last week, you know, the exploration of literature, supporting literacy. Um, So, I mean, already I'm like, I went back and I pulled my uh, Herodotus Herodotus, uh, volume that was translated by Tom Holland, um, Mm -hmm. you know, and really dig dig into that and read his accounts um, as well as, you know, revisit Socrates and Plato and, you know, it, it, you know, you're doing exactly what your goal was for the adventures and that is to create interest in literature. Um, you know, the fact that this is in collaboration with your library project, um, you know, I think it's a great project and and I think that it's doing exactly what it what it what you wanted it to do. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, and uh, the adult uh, part of it is going to launch in August. Uh, we're going to have uh, explorations of ancient uh, lore. Uh, with uh, um, like the Starfleet uh, meeting and uh, we're going to show old uh, retro sci-fi and lost civilization movies and then uh, uh, talk about uh, what they're based on uh, afterwards, you know, uh, both uh, uh, scholarly and uh, metaphysical uh, uh, accounts. So thank you very much. It's very encouraging to hear your words. Oh, you're welcome. Um, I mean, yeah, I think this is a great project. I think it's, oh, you know, it it makes learning fun, you know, honestly. And learning should be fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it should. It should. So, um, yeah, I haven't had a chance to do too much more research. I know you and I have uh, chatted a little bit via email, uh, but uh, I think that, I'm I'm anxious for you to get into Odyssey because um, Herodotus is in there as well as a yeah. number of other Greek, Greek characters that I'm sure you've read or you've you know come across in the various movies and things like that. Uh, Nick passed me a note and reminded me that in um, Assassin's Creed Odyssey they talk about Atlantis um, and yeah. that is a the story so. And also the uh, the first civilization, which uh, they equate with the gods of the uh, Olympian pantheon, um, are uh, very much a part of Assassin's Creed. And uh, the whole question of uh, free will, uh, the assassins mm-hmm. having free will and then the Templars wanting social control. 
And although it's hard to tell yeah. who's the hero and who's the villain uh, a, a lot of the times, because it's not good guys versus bad guys. It's, it's kind of two conflicting points of view. Um, but they have in the background uh, the tale of uh, uh, Olympus and uh, they call it Atlantis uh, and the first civilization and how they created humanity to serve them. And then they interbred with humanity and created like a hybrid race. Uh, so all of that is taken out of uh, uh, the Greek and other Mediterranean myths. So that's a level of uh, Assassin's Creed I didn't suspect was there. Uh, so, again, I want to thank you guys because you've opened up a whole new uh, uh, playground for me, too, in addition to uh, visiting the um, Athens and Sparta in the days of Eurovatos. And they even have my island in the game, Nimnos. You know, I, I can go visit my island in uh, uh, during the Bronze Age, and that's kind of fun. Uh, but they have this whole space gods thing, which I, I've really been focusing on a lot lately. Oh yeah, you'll you'll enjoy uh, visiting Minos. I remember that. Um, yeah, you know, I think that it's when it comes down to it. Even Herodotus talked about, you know, the the good and the bad, and and trying to understand, you know, why there's conflict and it kind of exploring those conflicts of good and evil. You know, trying to find peace and you know, being the father of history and, you know, really he was the first to write nonfiction. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's a, he's such a fascinating read. I'm just really enjoying yeah. starting to him. And I think it'll be a really interesting and just, you know, I'm, I'm just now wanting to like read more and more. Not just him, but others that, you know, you don't hear about as often, but they have great things to talk about. I mean, I've been researching that even in my mummy research. Um, other philosoph- Greek philosophers at the time that were traveling around and, and their stories, what they were learning, you know, the fact that Herodotus, uh, you know, kicked off the age of science, science really. Um, yeah. So I think it's really an interesting period of time. And, and we'll have wonderful shows in the future where we could focus on each of the points you just made, because it, it is. It's, it's, uh, it's awesome, and let's make it fun. Oh, definitely, yep. Well, I know it's about time for... For Nick, yes, but how can people get in contact with you before we speak to Mr. Dyack? Oh, sure, of course. So um, I can be found... Uh, I have a... Um, public Facebook page, which is Michelle Brittany Wright. Um, and then I have a website, which is just michellebrittany.com. I'm Michelle with one L. Brittany is with two T's, A and Y. Um, and then I also have a uh, Amazon uh, author page that you can find all my writings, including the new book that uh, Nick and I co-edited that's going to be out uh, this autumn which is a horror study of literature. Awesome. So, um, yeah. So, and, anyway. And, again, I, yeah. I would like to uh, highlight your works, uh, yours and Nick's, as much as possible. So when the book's about to come out, let's devote a few shows to the book. That would be great. And just really appreciate it, uh, Hercules, all the support and um Definitely, you know, you you are very much our champion, and and we're so appreciative. It allows us to really have a 
platform to, to talk and bounce ideas and, you know, that's part of that scholastic dialogue. And so, you know, we're hearkening back to our ancient roots, aren't we, Hercules? Yes, we are. And I'm greatly honored that uh, we're all doing it together because you guys are awesome. So uh, you deserve to be celebrated. Uh, thank you so much, Hercules, and I will pass it over to Nick. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Greetings, Mr. Dyack. How are you? Hey, good evening. Uh, I'm doing very well. How about yourself? I'm doing great, and I hear that you've been traveling to other planets and uh, um, learning of uh, the adventurers who adventure there. Yeah, I have a, an essay due uh, sometime in August for a website called We Are the Mutants, and I proposed to them, uh, you know, the research and the sword and planet uh, stories I've been reading, basically mm-hmm. uh, stuff I shared in the past of, you know, unearthing the peplum elements of uh, the sword and planet genre. So a couple months ago, I, you know, hit a used bookstore, and I just gobbled up a whole bunch of, you know, 60s and 70s uh, sword and wow. planet stories. and uh, dived into them. So I was hoping to talk about two of them today, but also talk okay. about a neo novel as well. I'm looking forward to it. Okay. So the first book I want to talk about is called The Enchanted Planet by Pierre Barbet. And it is a terrible book. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, uh, you know, have a something interesting to say, and this book was definitely had something interesting to say. Um, it was released in 1975. It was actually originally written in French and then translated to English and published by Daw. Um, the book does suffer from, you know, telling and not showing. Uh, it basically, the book just kind of spits at you what's going on. It doesn't really do a good job at trying to immerse you in the world, and I think that's probably its biggest uh, uh fallback is it you know i went to the house i opened the door there was a princess there she got kidnapped i rescued her it's kind of how it reads unfortunately hmm. but um so it's actually a book too and this is what i discovered is a whole bunch of these books i plopped up are all book twos and book threes and i you know wind up skipping a book one but that's okay this one's a standalone book so it is a Sword and Sorcery in Space book, uh, but I'm going to use that term a little loosey, and you'll see why here in a second. Um, the main protagonist is a character named Setni, and in the past he had dealings with a race of people called the Cyborgs, and that's P-S-Y Borgs. They're basically a, a psychic race, and um, what has happened is in the middle of the Milky Way galaxy, a planet has appeared out of nowhere, and it's threatening, you know, uh, the cyborgs and, you know, stability of the galaxy. So they send Setney to find out what's going on. And what they do is they arm him with, uh, uh, you, know, uh, you know, armor, sword, and all that stuff, but a jewel. Uh, this jewel gives him really big psychic powers. So he arrives on this unnamed planet, and it's, it's basically medieval times. Um, he meets a, a guy named the Knight of the Purple Cross, who is escorting his uh, ward, Lady Unia, and he's got to basically free her parents from some, you know, beast. So he teams up with them, and it comes to pass that this, uh, basically this planet, everything on it is an illusion. 
Um, it's being ran by two bad guys, uh, Archie Mago and Duesta. And we'll find out more about them in a second. But, you know, even though it's a world, uh, there's no magic. I mean, there is magic, but it's not really magic. It's all psychic visions. These folks just keep uh, uh, conjuring up, you know, adversaries at, you know, that they throw at Setney in the Night of the Purple Cross. Um, anyway, they, they, were, they eventually free uh, Lady Unia's parents and, uh, Setney goes on a different quest, and he finds a, a hidden city. And in the city, he discovers an underground lab, and there's a throne. He sits on this throne, and bam, he has teleported, not just in the past, but also to another galaxy, the, the large melogenetic cloud. So what has happened is basically this planet that appeared in the Milky Way is actually from the large melogenetic cloud from the past. And there's a, a race mm. of people there. They're, they're in war with a race of psychic crab monsters called the Rorks, and they're getting their butt kicked by psychic crab it. monsters. This is awesome. <laughs> it, it, it's badly written, but at the same time, you're like, okay, it's it's wild. It's it's kind of cool in that regard. So so Stephanie uses the power of his gym to kind of help them make uh, psychic weapons to fight the crab monsters. Uh, but in the end, uh, it doesn't really work. Uh, the crab monsters are just they're too much. Uh, they kind of win the war, but Sydney gets thrown back to the original planet he's on, and he's able to finally stop Archimago and Duessa and restore at least peace to the Milky Way, although the large melogenet cloud is, well, they're toast. Um, but that's the story in the nutshell for the Enchanted Planet. Um, it is interesting. It's terribly written. Um it's almost though kind of like an anti-peplum and an anti-sorted planet story. Um, the, the cover in the classic 1960s and 70s style, you know, depicts a, you know, a very strong looking dude, you know, there's spaceships going behind him. He's wielding his sword in the air. There's plant monsters grasping at him. And so you're like, Oh, he looks cool. Well, in the story, he's, he's powerless. Uh, basically, without his psychic jewel, he can't really do anything. He's not like a traditional uh, sword and sandal guy where, you know, a strong man is able to overcome anything thrown at him because he's right. strong. He can use his body as a tool. Um, and he's also not like a normal sword and planet character because, you know, it's not like a, a John Carter character where he has superpowers because of, you know, he's on another planet or he trains very hard to become strong like Jandor or Callisto. He is basically a normal dude, and he only has any ounce of power because of this uh, psychic gem that he has. Um, even though he wields a sword, it's, you know, he loses it, and he just relies on his uh, gem for everything. Um, in another way, he's sort of like the main character at the Towers of Edge of Time, but that character was a lot more interesting. That guy was a burly guy, and even without yeah. psychic powers, he, he's able to do stuff for himself. Um, but on the other hand, there's still other peplum elements in here. A classic peplum motif is, you know, uh, you have to, you know, the good guy overtakes an empire. You know, you oust the uh, the warlord or the evil king. And in this book, that happens kind of twice. You know, one empire... Uh, loses, you know, the good guys actually lose, but then at the end, you know, the main guy, uh, Setney is able to at least stop the two evil uh, wizards, who are, who are still crab monsters, 
so at least he stops them. So it's, it's kind of bittersweet in that sort of regard. Uh-huh. Um, so, so it's not, it, it's an interesting book. You know, it's not quite sword and sorcery because there's really no magic involved. You know, the, the melee and the dragons, they're there, but, you know, the subterfuges, it's all psychic vision. It's not really a peplum. It's not really a sword and planet, but there's still trace elements of all that genre together. So, wow, it, uh, th- that is uh, strange. Uh, um, it's uh, kind of like uh, Donald Glute's uh, Dagar, which was kind of like an anti-barbarian. Uh-huh. You know, it had all the trappings of sword and sorcery, uh, but he didn't consider himself a barbarian, and uh, the story took a lot of uh, unexpected uh, twists. Donald Glute's uh, series was written well, uh, and it sounds like this one wasn't. Uh, but uh, it sounds like somebody ran wild with their imagination and produced it. So I, I commend them for that and sharing it with us. And I, I, I definitely agree wholeheartedly with that. I feel like, you know, there's entire paragraphs where 10 things happen. I'm like, you know, each of those 10 things could have been its own chapter. I feel like, uh, yeah, there's a lot of nation here. There's a lot of ways it could have gone. And part of it is probably because it was originally a French, uh, French and was translated. Um, it, it is a random book, that's for sure. Uh, but it does it does uh, fire the imagination. It does give me a lot of research for my uh, Sword and Planet essay, though. So it does succeed uh-huh. admirably in those first. I, I guess you know. Again, the worst thing a book could ever be is not entertaining. And in an uh-huh. MST3K style, this book was entertaining. And it's maybe he published his outline rather than finishing. Maybe uh, uh, he had outlined it and it got published uh, because he passed on or uh, he uh, decided he wasn't going to continue it. So he just published it as is because it sounds like they wrote a summary of what the, the adventure was all about. You know what? It's weird that you say that because there's definitely errors in the book. And I don't mean spelling errors like early in the book. They're traveling around and it starts raining. And then two chapters later, they're like, oh, man, it's never rained on this planet before. I'm like, dude, it just rained two chapters ago. You made it a big plot point. (laughs) So the second book I'm actually currently reading, I'm about two-thirds of the way through it. It's called Pursuit Uh on Ganymede, Full Resnick. Um, Now, this book is totally... Totally sword and planet in the Berzian style. Um, and in fact, if I didn't know it was written by Michael Resnick, I would assume it was written by Lynn Carter. It is okay. flat out, and I love it because it's so. Um, <laughs> so this is a book too. It's a sequel to another book called uh, The Goddess of Ganymede. So I haven't read that one. So again, I'm kind of you know it skipped on by accident. So anyway, yeah, this is straight up. Pure, unadulterated sword and planet. Um, the main hero is named Adam Thane, and he is a soldier from Earth who has been transported to Ganymede. And if I had read book one, I could tell you how. Probably some form of astral projection or fell down a well or something. It all, something happened. <laughs> um, but, but they do it like a recap of book one. Basically, you know, there's a Deja Thoris-type character named Elise. He's fallen for her. Uh, you know, he has saved her kingdom from an evil dude named 
Tara Fulgen, but he has escaped and he has kidnapped Elise, and that's where book two kind of picks up. Um, okay. So Danny Mead in this story has been ravaged kind of by like some sort of atomic holocaust, and the whole Eastern Hemisphere is we don't go there; it's off limits. And well, so of course the bad guy's going to take his hostage girl, you know, there. So Adam Sane uh, is in hot pursuit, and the East, you know, is full of you know giant. It's forested. It's you know trees are a mile high, and there's you know Ray Harryhausen-esque monsters everywhere. Uh, giant uh, winged serpents he's got to fight. Giant brontosaurus-type critters he's got to fight. He eventually makes it to the mountains, and there's some there's a tribe there. He's like, hey, you can't pass the mountains because it's forbidden. He's like, ah, you must challenge me to hand-to-hand combat, which of course he wins because again he's a peplum hero. Uh-huh. And so he traverses the mountains, and he winds up in a city called Luros. And like a Lynn Carter slash Burroughs character, he has to be captured and sold into slavery. And then he is bought by a benevolent slave master who, you know, is like, you will be my bodyguard. It's like, okay, better than being a slave. And so uh-huh. um town in, uh, called Luros, and... Uh, he finds out, hey, you know, the evil guy, Tarapolga, and the girl I love, Elise, is also here. How fortuitous. So, of course, he wants to save the day, and uh, he's captured again. And, and again, in a sword and planet fashion, he is thrown into the arena, and he's got to fight waves of monsters um, to win his girl. And at the same time as this happens, a big war breaks out, and the city becomes overrun, and he leads the armies against the other armies. And that's as far as I've gotten. Um, <laughs> so you can tell the the Burroughs, Burroughsian, that's a new term, William, uh, Edgar Allan <laughs> Burroughsian uh, vibes are super strong here. Um, so Adam thinks he is from Earth. He is now in Ganymede, which is the equivalent of like Jandor, you know, falling in a well and going to uh, Callisto. Um, mm-hmm. In a peplum, he's not a strong man per se, but he is under the effects of, you know, being an Earthling on another planet. So be it gravity or something else, um, he, he operates differently. He's not strong, but he's really agile. He can jump really far and really high. So that's kind of his shtick. So he doesn't become a strong man like uh, Gandar or John Carter, but he becomes a very agile person. And so, you know, that's still a, a very Olympic-type thing. So, yeah, not a strong man, but a different type of strong man. Um, and also in a peplum slash sorted planet fashion, um, yeah, he, he fights, uh, you know, hand-to-hand combat. He fights in an arena. That always happens. Um, you know, the equivalent of, you know, gladiatorial games. Um, uh-huh. Swords are super plentiful in this. In, in a true peplum fashion, they're very disposable. But, and this is something that you brought up in a prior episode, um, that, you know, most swords in a peplum film aren't, you know, they're not talismanic. You know, they're truly generic. You know, no one really has, this is my sword passed to me from my father, from my grandfather. Well, in this book, it does deviate. It goes, it does go that route. He does have a preferred sword that was a gift to him. But, you know, he's still winds up losing it using other swords. Um, the monsters that he fights are straight out of Jason and the Argonauts. 
and there's definitely, you know, the crumbling of empires. In book one, he's obviously crumbled one empire, and two-thirds from this book, he crumbles another empire. So, busy yeah, man. This, this is, he's extremely busy, um, <laughs> very busy running around and uh, getting captured by everything. Falls into a pit of quicksand, he's able to escape. You know, gets captured by a cannibal, is able to escape. Gets enslaved, is able to escape. But, but you know, that's that's just the genre, the sword and planet genre, and also the peplum genre. The hero, you know, bends the bars or is able to best the beasts that he's set up against. And so this is definitely uh, the, the sword and sandal elements permeate this sword and planet story uh, all throughout. And again, it reads like a Burroughs, a Carter, and that sort of deal. Yes, uh, what do you call it? And the Sword and Sorcery, I remember, had like all these like the, their their napairs standing up, and their thews were quivering, and uh, uh, their muscles twitched spasmodically, and <laughs> there was all sorts of terms, you know. Uh, but uh, sword and uh, sorcery elements are in there as well. Oh yeah. Um, so this uh, of the two books, this one is definitely the superior of the book. And not just because it's a fetish, but, uh, you know, it, do, it does suffer from time to time of telling and not showing. But it is written much, much better. Um, yeah, so that's Pursuit on Ganymede. I still got about a third of the way to go in it, so we'll see what happens. But this one I've been enjoying. Now one I can't wait to write about to, to really outline all the peplum elements in it. I can't wait to read um, uh, your essay. It sounds uh, totally awesome. Uh, thank you. Well, uh, some of it I've presented here before. So now it's just, you know, I've done all this, you know, kind of research on it. It's just now time to aggregate it and, you know, we'll get it published somewhere. Uh, I, I've already have a website lined up that wants to, to, to publish it. So it's just getting it all written. Um, I'm hoping to fit in about two more books uh, between now and the end of uh, – July or the beginning of August, and you know whatever those two will be, we talk about them next time. That'd be fantastic, um, and I'd love to learn more about them. And I'm looking forward to having your Sword and Planet uh, character uh, start in our uh, uh, Starfleet adventure uh, as well. So I guess we'll focus on that on, on the next show we're together. Yes, uh, I did listen to the last episode, and I took a lot of notes and working with Michelle. So. We'll definitely get that up and running. I definitely have uh, some cool ideas now, for sure, on how to basically tie the sword and planet research into that uh, venue. I think I've got a cool idea that you might like. Okay. Um, I'm looking forward to, to hearing it. And uh, uh, would you like to speak more about uh, the upcoming book that uh, you and Michelle co-edited that's coming out in August on horror? Uh, in in a little bit, I do want to talk about one other thing real quick, and I think you'll enjoy okay. this. Okay. Um, it's a Neil Peplum uh, graphic novel uh, called Sons of Chaos. Uh, I just did a review for it. It was published last week. I interviewed the author, which will be published tomorrow. This oh, is awesome. an incredible book. Um, it's actually it's, – it's, it's my – you know, Neil Peplum by my uh, terms. You know, I'm a little bit more liberal with this stuff. Uh, 
it actually is about the, the Greek War of Independence in the 1820s. Um, oh, wow. It's the story of Marcos uh, Botasaris, you know, the guy who uh, would basically lead the Greeks against the Ottomans before he died, you know, very, very young. Um, but it's his story of uh, from childhood to adult of him, uh, you know, being imprisoned by the Ali Pasha, although that's in this story. In real life, uh, he actually was with the, the French Foreign Legion, I believe. Um, uh-huh. I have to go read look that. So there's a little bit of liberties here, but it's a beautiful graphic novel. Basically, I hate to equate it to Frank Miller's 300, but that's the best way I can go. It's this ornate, huge, hardback graphic novel that takes a laser focus at uh, the Greeks fighting for their independence in 1820s. You know, there's nothing else that really talks about that you know era in history, at least here in the the West. You know, I didn't know right. about this. So I I met James at uh, Chris James at WonderCon earlier this year. He was uh, you know showing previews for his uh, graphic novel, and of course the cover of it shows you know it looks like a in all purposes a peplum graphic novel. The cover has right. this guy in horseback cape. He's wielding a sword. He's got you know Spartan type helmet on, and just the the imagery. Even though it's the 1820s, the imagery throughout the book is Pure sword and sandal with guns. They, they actually term it uh, sword and shooter, and I like that term. It keeps that alliteration yeah. going that I love so. Much. Um, but the book comes out this week. It's going to debut at San Diego Comic Con. Michelle's actually going to do a a video interview with the writer as well. Okay. But I tried a spot uh, for you just because you know I know you love uh, Greek history. Uh, it's a different type of Greek history. Uh, but you know it's 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 sorted sandal adjacent. I still say it's neo peplum because it's my term. <laughs> so I, I did awesome. want to talk about. All right. So you wanted to know about Michelle's and my upcoming book this uh, autumn uh, on horror yeah. literature. Okay, give me one sec because I can't even remember the name of our own book. Uh, it was one thing, and then they, they switched it to another thing. But So it's called Horror Literature from Gothic to Postmodern Critical Essays. Um, this is what Michelle and I have been working on for the past, oh, about two years. Wow. Um, these are essays uh, that were compiled from presentations at our Anne Radcliffe Academic Conference, which is a, a sub-conference of the Horror Writers Association's SukerCon Convention. Um, our first two years of conferences, you know, we selected some literature-based presentations. We worked with the authors to turn them into basically book chapters and essays. And mm-hmm. it is due to come out fall. Um, the cover art has been released. It got released back in May. It's kind of spooky looking. It's this cloaked dude in a red forest. It's really cool. Um, well, to be honest, we're, we're just waiting for the, the proof to come back from the publisher so we could do the last round of edits and also do the index for it. But um, the book runs the gamut of of old horror literature, such as from Anne Radcliffe to newer mm-hmm. stuff, such as uh, and Stephen King. It dives into pulp and weird fiction. It dives even into children's books as well. We have a really cool essay that talks about horror in children's books. Um, oh wow! So we're really excited for it. It's uh, it's been a long time in coming. Um, it's successful 
probably span uh, a second book eventually as we, uh, you know, we just had our third year of presentations. We're going to have the fourth year in the U.K. Uh, in 2020, and so we'll probably oh. mine both of those uh, conferences for a book, too. So it's, it's exciting. This is uh, Michelle's and I first joint book together. Uh, although we've contributed essays to each other's projects, this is the first time we've edited a book together. That is great, and that is such a wonderful progression, uh, and I'm looking forward to more that you co-edit. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, too. Thank you very much. That is exciting, and it took two years to work on it. That, that is phenomenal, uh, and uh, um, I wish you great success with it. Oh, I appreciate it. Now, it, it took two years because we started the book at the end of our first year of conferences. And so it wasn't until the second year of conferences that we got the other half of the essays. And so that's okay. probably why a little longer editing time is because, uh, uh, you know, we, we waited for two years of conferences before we started doing the essays and all that other stuff. Uh, some books don't take that long. Other books take way longer than that. Oh, please feel free to share your uh, reviews and your interviews uh, on my timeline so that uh, folks who listen to you can follow you there uh, uh, as well. Oh, okay. Uh, if that's okay with you, I, I, I usually try to be uh, cognizant of other people's Facebook feeds and stuff. Uh, when I, when I can, uh, I'll coordinate with you on that. I don't want to pollute your uh, timeline with all my weird uh, sword and planet and peplum stuff. Although you do dig that stuff. <laughs> I, I, do, I do love that stuff, and I dwell on it uh, fairly often. But uh, fine, we'll confer. But you're, you're welcome to share, um, you know, all the wonderful things that you guys are doing. And, uh, you know, the more people to find them, the better. There should be more of that happening in the world. So you, you and Michelle are doing it. So, uh, again, it should be celebrated and, and followed. Well, I appreciate the venue very much. And we're approaching the end of our adventure today. Uh, would you care to share your contact information? Uh, absolutely. So my website's just nickdiak.com, N-I-C-K-D-I-A-K.com. Uh, and there is a link to all the different social medias I'm on, Facebook, Twitter. Uh, Google Plus doesn't exist anymore, so I don't have to say that one anymore. Uh, that's you know, my email address is in there somewhere as well. I keep it up to date every time, you know, something happens. You know, I get a review published, an interview published. Uh, in fact, I just had a, a re uh, found out my Peplum book got reviewed by the American Culture Association Journal, and they gave it a, a super positive review, so that made me really happy and glowing, awesome. so I had to share it. There. But, yeah, .com, That's that's the uh, – consolidated place for all my projects and contact information. I'm, I'm a very easy to get a hold of. Good. May it remain so. Thank you, Nicholas, very much. Uh, I had an awesome time. Thanks again to Michelle, and I'm looking forward to your special, which is coming up in uh, a couple of weeks, where you'll be interviewing somebody. So I'm greatly looking forward to that. Yes. Uh, uh, do, do you want me to spend like 30 seconds of plugging that real quick? Yeah, sure. So yeah, I think it's about two weeks. All right, I'll do it super quick. So in about two weeks, both Michelle and I will be uh, interviewing uh, Danny Delisle, 
She is a role-playing game writer. She's uh, done a lot of the you know fantasy role-playing games. She's also a, a normal writer as well. So we'll be talking to her on your program, uh, not this week or next week, but the week after that. Awesome. Monday Thank July. you very much. I'm sorry? Uh, Monday, July 29th at uh, 9 p.m. Eastern. Thank you very much. Uh, Joyous journeys and awesome adventures to you and to all who joined us tonight. Until next time, this is Hercules with the Scholars from the Edge of Time uh, wishing you well. Thanks for listening to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network. Join us seven nights a week for exciting programming covering a variety of expressions of faith. And remember, all manifestations of the divine are equally valid.